0: One of the things we're talking about is we're talking about the book of James, right? And, and, and as we talk about the book of James, this is our fourth week in it. And uh, the last two weeks, Pastor Jonathan, don't you think Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Aidan did an incredible job, right? They did an incredible job. Uh, I, I love it uh, because uh, some of you are watching online and welcome, love the fact that you're joining us. But uh, there is one person who watches online every week every week they watch online. That happens to be my mom, okay? My mom watches every, and last week she watched Pastor Aiden, never heard him preach, right? Watched Pastor Aiden preach, and she said, oh, Dan, that young Pastor Aiden did a great job. I said, I know he did, and then she said this, he's such a cutie pie, isn't he? <laughs> I, said, I said, of all the things I've ever said to Aiden, that's not one, right? But one of the things I did say to Aiden was this, if you were here last week, because he's just young, he's just learning, right? And I said, Aiden, we've got to work on some things. I said, Aiden, you don't have enough energy when you preach is what I told him right if you were here you know what I'm talking about he was all over this place did a great job and he and pastor Jonathan continued this conversation in a great way because James is all about finding a faith that works and why that's important is many of you in the room are trying to find a faith that works you're looking for a spirituality that really makes a difference here's what I know we live in a time in a generation in a culture where people just don't want a religious service to attend right right They want a spirituality that actually makes a difference. And so what's interesting about that is people are looking for a faith that works. They're looking for a spirituality that makes a difference. What's fascinating to me is God is looking for faith that works. He's looking for a spirituality that actually makes a difference. In fact, he would say spirituality that makes a difference is actually a faith that works. Faith that doesn't show up in the way I behave isn't real faith at all. What James is all about is this, here it is in a nutshell, that what I believe shows up in how I behave, that's worth writing down, there's no blanks for it. What I believe shows up in how I behave, that's the book of James. And so what I love about James is this, some of you are sitting here and you're like, you know Dan, I'm here but I'm just checking things out because I'm skeptical about Christianity or I'm just exploring it or I have a lot of questions. Why that's fascinating to me is this is that James the one writing the book we're looking at is the half brother of Jesus and James was the original skeptic. James did not believe Jesus was who he said he was at first. He thought he was crazy. Jesus went around and said, I'm Messiah, son of God. And James half-brother said, yeah, right. I go home every night with you. I know who you are, right? And it wasn't until Jesus was killed on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and then rose again that James like, hey, my brother died, rose again from the dead. Maybe I'm going to listen to what he says, right? Maybe he is who he says he is. And James went from being skeptic to being a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Fascinating, right? And so he's writing this from somebody who knew exactly what it was like to have questions. He knew exactly what it was like to doubt. And some of you, some of you this morning, if you're just honest, right, and you can be honest here, you have doubts. You have, you have, you wonder, you have questions, you're skeptical. And so James is for you. It's all about a faith that works. It's a spirituality that actually makes a difference. And so week one, we said this, that faith, faith works when times are hard. And all of us have hard times. In fact, hard times, listen close, actually is the very thing that works our faith. Hard times is the very thing that matures our faith. Week two, we said this, that faith works when we face temptation because it's during those times of temptation that we decide, am I going to trust God's really good or am I going to just turn my back and make my own decisions, right? And then last week, Pastor Aiden gave us a great picture because he said a faith that works is like riding a bicycle. You Remember that? He said it's about listening and doing. It's about listening and doing, humbly listening to God and then following and doing what he says you see here's what i know if you've been here here's what you know james okay if you've never read james great place to start okay james is an extremely practical book james is an easy to read book james is a relevant book james is a hard-hitting book listen close and james is a very 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 you listening revealing book Because James, in his book, almost sets an x-ray machine up to show us the genuineness of our faith. And James is very revealing and exposing. And there's no place more exposing than the little chunk we're going to look at today. Because what James wants us to see today is the way... You ready? Listen. The way we behave to other people tells us a lot about what we believe about God. I'm going to say it again because we're going to make sense of this. The way we behave towards other people tells us a lot about what we believe about God. Or let me say it this way, the way we view others tells me an awful lot about my view of God. The way I view others tells me an awful lot about the way that I view God. So here's the way he starts in James 2, verse one. He says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now look here a second. The gist of this, the, the, the lesson of this part of the Bible is a piece of cake. It's easy. James is simple, and he hits hard right out of the gate. Here's what he says. You can write it down. Don't play favorites. He says, if, if you have a faith that works, you're not going to play favorites. You're not going to play favorites. Now, let's make sense of that, and then we need to unwrap it some. Here's what he's saying He uses a word there favoritism. I need to tell you a little bit about that word because it is an unusual word. It's a word that's not used outside of Christian literature. You can forget that. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, if if you're a follower of Jesus, you must not show favoritism. And the word means this. I must not make judgments and give special attention based on externals, superficial judgments. Based on title, position, popularity, the way they look. He said, if I'm a follower of Christ, that's not the way I'm going to view and interact with other people. He says, don't play favorites. Now listen, it sounds like something our parents would tell us, right? You don't judge a book by its Your parents told you that, right? That's all James is saying. James is saying don't judge a book by its cover. Don't give special attention because, wow, they're really dressed well. And, and put this person over here because they're not dressed well. He said don't give special attention because they got a high-paying job. Well, they're just kind of a low minimum wage. Time. He's saying don't judge people that way. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a book by his age, by its race, by its geography. That's what he's saying. Just don't judge a book by its cover. And he's writing this. The reason it made sense to them is, is they're in a Roman culture where people were judged based upon their family, their title, their wealth, their popularity. And so you were given special recognition because of those things. But here's what's interesting for me. What's interesting to me is James wrote it to people in a Roman culture. Look here a second. Can we just say this, that there's nothing, you ready, nothing new under the sun? Just shake your head like you're with me on this sleepy father's day. Just shake your head, right, because there isn't. You know how I know that? You know why I know that? Because we, we, uh, forget we, I'm just going to go right at you. You, us, we naturally play favorites. You don't even have to agree with me, and you can be wrong. I'm kidding, but, but we play favorites, you play favorites. It is easy for us to make judgments based on appearance, titles, wealth, popularity, race, geography, education. That's how we make judgments. That's what drives the way we interact with people. You do it. I do it. It's natural to walk in a room and i like, man, all of a sudden begin to make judgments about people based upon external, superficial things. I know that's true. I found that out firsthand 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I moved to Norton. Moved my whole family here, became the pastor here. And three weeks in, three weeks into being the pastor here, I had an interesting thing happen to me. When I moved here, some of you that were here then might remember, I had the sweetest, the sweetest car. Here's a picture of it. That was my car. Y'all jealous, aren't you, huh? Huh? That was my big, rusty, blue bomb, right? I loved my car. I absolutely loved my car. In fact, I don't know that I've had a car run better than that car. The thing literally rusted out from underneath of me, literally did. I would drive that thing around. People said, man, you need a new car. But I loved driving that car. Didn't look like much, right? Didn't look like much. One day, three weeks into being here, I'm driving my beautiful, blue, rusty bomb, right? I had just got done working out. This is a true story. Jessica done working out. So I had my cut-off T-shirt, because everybody works out does that, right? I'm soaking with sweat, smell terrible. And ironically, the night before, ironically, the night before, I had shaved my head. If you can't tell, I shaved my head. I had shaved my head and had a dull razor. Had a dull razor, and I gouged my head. Yeah, imagine that, right? Had a big. Anybody ever do that before? Yeah, it hurts, right? I gouged my head, a big old cut. I'm sweaty, cut off in my rusty blue bomb, drinking my coffee, and I'm in a hurry. Anybody tracking with me? I'm in a hurry. I had to get to the church so I could get home, shower, so I could get back to a meeting. Nobody told me there's a school speed limit zone out here. And so I'm driving in my blue rusty bomb, by the way, still with my Indiana tags on it. Still with my Indiana tax, and I'm flying because i got to get here so I can get home. All of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and what do you think I saw? Whoop, whoop, just like that, right? And so I did what you would do, what anybody would do. I drove till I got to the driveway here at the church, and I pulled in, right? I pulled in right over here. And when I pulled in, the coffee I had on my dashboard spilled all over the floor, So I put it in park and I did what you would have done. I was just thinking, okay, these nice guys behind me, welcome to Norton, all that kind of stuff. And I reached down and got my coffee. I had to pull the cup back up. And when I got back up here, I met two friendly Norton police officers, both their guns drawn, standing at my door. Yeah. I'm like, where did I just move to? Right? And the guy looks at me and he says, where are you from? And I'm like, where am I from? I'm from here. I'm from Norton. He said, then why does this car have Indiana tags on it? I'm like, "Ah, well, and I explained all that. He didn't believe me. He said, what's that gash on your head? I'm like, yeah, it looks kind of bad, doesn't it? Right? And I smell kind of bad. And I said, well, I cut myself shaven. Then he asked me this question. He said, okay, then show me your ID and tell me where you work, is what he said to me. And I pointed to the building. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm the new pastor of the church here. I remember their response, guns back in, right? All of a sudden, they say, welcome to town, Pastor Dan. You see, here's the deal. When they first, I don't blame them, by the way. They they were doing their job, but I kind of looked a mess. And they made a judgment. They were like, we might have a fight on our hands, right? And all of a sudden, they made a judgment based on what they saw. See, you and I naturally play favorites. We naturally draw conclusions. We do it by appearance. We do it with titles. We do it with titles. I know that's true about some of you. I know it is. You know how I know that? Because I've talked to some of you on the phone. You're like, how do you know that based on talking to me on the phone? Because I've called some of you on the phone, and here's the way it works. Yeah? Yeah, is, is Bob there? Him? Uh, yeah, this is Pastor Dan. Oh, Pastor Dan, I hope you're having a holy day. It's very good to talk to you. You do it, you know you do it, Right? You see, we naturally play favorites. And what James is saying is when what we do naturally weaves its way into the church, it's dangerous and distorting. It's dangerous and it's distorting. And that leads him to give an illustration. And the illustration is found in 2 through 4. Here's what he says. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. Look here a second. I always tell you this. I want the Bible to be read in color. Read it in color. We read this and like, oh, that's what James is saying back there. Gold ring, fine clothes. Read it this way. Suppose this morning LeBron James came in. Suppose LeBron James came in with his entourage. And also suppose not just LeBron James came, but suppose Leroy wannabe Jones came in. He's simply saying, suppose two people, one very well-known, one that looks like they have it all together, one that looks rich, one that doesn't, one that's dressed to the nines, one that's not, one that's well-known and famous athlete, one that's not. That's all he's saying. He's saying, when that comes, he says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes the one who's well-known and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let that sit for a minute. Because all he's simply saying is, imagine the illustration. Imagine these two cats coming in and imagine looking at them from the outside in and saying, hey, listen, you look like you deserve special recognition. You look like you should be in a seat of honor. But somebody comes in, no name, wannabe, maybe in tattered clothes, maybe doesn't look like they're very influential. And you say, hey, listen, I hope you can find a seat. And if you can't, maybe you could just sit over here. And what James says is this, listen, listen. He says when that begins to happen, all of a sudden you begin to be discriminators. Listen. And then you show yourself to have evil thoughts and a faith that's not working. Now it begs this question. James says don't play favorites. So it begs the question, okay, mama taught me that, right? So we could, we, I could close the service. Somebody's like, that'd be great. i like to go to lunch, right? Yeah, I could close the service. You go, I'm going to not play favorites. Right? But we would miss the power of this passage. Because the power of this passage in, is in the answer to the question, why? Why in the world is it important for us not to play favorites? And James is going to unwrap that. And here's what I want to tell you, okay, before we go there. He's going to start up here in the shallow end, stuff that you're going to be like, yep, that makes sense to me. And he's going to take us to the deep end. And by the time we get to the end of this little talk, here's the deal. James very, very well might reveal to some of us in this room that we're reading our Bible all wrong. I'm going to say that again because I want it to make you feel uncomfortable. James, if you let us go there, is going to reveal to us at the end that maybe, just maybe, some of us in this room are reading our Bible all wrong. The first thing James says is verse 5. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? You see, it begs the question: why in the world is it important for me not to play favorites? And I want you to write this down. First and foremost, James says this: playing favorites is absolutely unlike God. It is when I play favorites, I am nothing like God. When a church plays favorites, it's nothing like the God they worship. When a follower of Christ plays favorites, makes judgments based on supervision, they're nothing like the Jesus they say they follow. That's all he's saying. In fact, it's not only unlike God, when you and I play favorites, it is the direct opposite of the heart of God. You're saying, how do you know that? 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a church. He said, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose you guys. Imagine him saying that to us. It's like, you weren't very wise. You weren't very influential. You didn't come from these real important families. Here's why. Because God chose the foolish things, thank you, of the world, right? To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to, to, to despise the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him, they are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That's our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Point being this, when you read the story of God, here's what you find. You find a God who over and over and over again is choosing the overlooked, is inviting the uninvited. He's picking the one everyone else overlooks. How many of you remember on the playground? Just raise your hand. On the playground, when they would choose teams, two captains, and you choose. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Here is everybody's worst nightmare. Don't raise your hand. Everybody's worst nightmare is nobody's going to choose me, right? Nobody's going to pick me, or I might be the last one picked. Now, listen, some of you are shaking your head like I was that person, right? Some of you were that person, and it reminds me of a story in the Bible that tells us a little bit about the heart of God. The story in the Bible goes like this, that Israel had a king. His name was Saul. He was athletic. He was very kingly looking. He was athletic and handsome and very powerful looking, and he was the guy, but he turned his back on God, turned his back on God. He was a man's man. He was a successful man, turned his back on God. God says to Samuel the prophet, time to pick a new king, and this new king is going to come from the house of Jesse, Jesse has sons. I want you to go anoint the new king. Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he says, hey, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be king. Jesse's like, wow, that's cool. And Jesse brings out his son so that Samuel can meet him. It's like this parade of boys. And these boys walk before Samuel and they're big and they're warriors and they're athletic and they're handsome and they look the part. And Samuel, one by one, is like asking God, is this the one? Nope. Next, is this the one? Nope. Is this the one? Nope. Is this the one? Nope. And finally, he gets to the end of the parade of boys and he looks at Justin, and He's like, you got any more boys? And Jesse says, well, I mean, yeah, but he's the little sheep tender. He's out watching the sheep. He's kind of ruddy. He's not very old. And he's never thought of inviting him. He said, go call him. He went and called David. And when he brought David, all of a sudden, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, began to pop. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? Say it out loud. The heart. You see, when I play favorites, I begin to see as man sees, and I am nothing like God. And nowhere is that more evident than when God became a man. Did you know God became a man? That's the story of Christmas. And he wrapped himself in flesh. And when God became a man and wrapped himself in flesh, we see the life of Jesus. And that explains why James starts chapter 2 this way He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Look here a second, I want to explain that. That, that, that underline there is hard to translate in Greek. Here's what he's saying. That Jesus, Jesus, in Jesus we see all of the glory of God. Jesus is God in all of his glory. Jesus is God in all of his glory. And here's what he's saying. He's saying if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet show favoritism, those two things contradict you know why? Because when you look at the life of Jesus, what did he do? He picked blue-collar fishermen. He picked the spies, tax collectors. He picked the social outcast, the physically beaten up, the spiritually rejected. If you would have walked around with Jesus, he would have been like walking around with the island of misfit toys. Anybody here? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, the island of misfit toys. I love that movie, right? Rudolph finds out he's got a nose different than everybody else. The little dentist elf. No one else wants to be a dentist, and they run away, right? And they find an island of runaways, an island of cast-off, an island of rejects, so to speak. And Rudolph comes into there, and all of a sudden, you see that island of misfit toys, all of a sudden, rescued, all of a sudden, redeemed. Listen, 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 listen. I want you to remember it this way. About five years ago, I preached a series on this. Jesus, listen close. Jesus came from a family of misfits, Jesus was friends with misfits. Jesus, his followers were misfits. Jesus was killed between two misfits. Jesus died in between two misfits. You know why? To rescue all the misfits and to give them an opportunity to escape the island of misfit toys. When you and I play favorites, we are very unlike the God that we say we worship. And when you and I play favorites, we are nothing like the Jesus we say we follow. But there's something else James says. You gotta see this. There's something else that he says. He says this, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? I want you to write it down, and then I'm gonna explain it. Playing favorites confuses our mission Playing favorites confuses our mission. When I play favorites, when all of a sudden I want to do whatever it takes to keep the rich, the influential, the popular, the wealthy, whatever it might be, when I'll do whatever it takes to keep those people in my good graces, it creates strange bedfellows, so to speak. All of a sudden, I begin to focus on keeping people who maybe aren't even interested in the mission that I have, let alone, in this case, they're blaspheming the name of the one I serve. Let me tell you by way of story what I mean by this. I've been a pastor for 25 years. When I was a young pastor, we planted a church, and we're like, what's that mean? Plant a church, we start like 15 people. Church began to grow, we were excited, all of a sudden there's 30 people. We thought, man, oh man, revival, right? Then all of a sudden there's 50, then there's 100, and for us we were like mega church, right? That's, it was incredible, And God was doing some incredible things. And I remember as a pastor, as a pastor, one of the things you do is you lead the congregation. And so we were going to do some things to do whatever it took to reach people for Jesus. And so I remember I announced, we had talked about it as a steering team, I had announced this is what we're going to do, we're going to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. And I remember a guy in the church, a wealthy businessman in the church, came to me afterwards and he said, I completely disagree With what you want to do. I said, I'm sorry, tell me why. He said, I kind of like things the way they are. He said, I like doing things the way that we always do them, and I don't really want us to do that. And I said, well, I'm sorry, this is something, and I'll tell you this if you ever come tell me that, we are never going to just do things because that's the way we always done them, right? That's a death nail for church, and I said, we want to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus, and this is what he said to me. He said, listen to me, if you do what you're proposing to do, I am going to stop giving my offering to the church. I was 28, 29, I remember standing there. I had no idea, one, that he gave an offering, two, I had no idea what he gave, but I looked at him and I'm like, wow, I wonder if he gives a significant amount to the church and I wonder if he doesn't give his offering, if we'll be even able to exist as a church. And as a 28, 29-year-old pastor, all of a sudden I had a choice. Am I going to do whatever it takes to keep him, or am I going to do whatever it takes to reach people? And I looked at this man, and I said this. I said, I'll have to take my chances, but I'm going to follow God. You see, here's the deal. When we play favorites, it all of a sudden... Cozies us up with people who aren't even interested in what God's interested in. It cozies us up with people who maybe aren't even following the Jesus that we say that we are committed to. And it compromises our mission. And it it literally compromises our character. It erodes our integrity. High school, middle school students, listen. High school, middle school students, listen to me. This happens in middle school and high school. You will feel a pressure, guaranteed, to do whatever it takes to be popular, to be cool, to be accepted, to be seen as the top dog. You'll you'll feel a pressure to compromise your character in order for you to be seen as somebody who's really, really important on your school campus. I certainly can't be that devoted to God. You'll feel a pressure in order to keep a certain group of friends that i got to do whatever it takes just to fit in. That's all James is talking about. He's saying that when we play favorites and that person's important and I gotta be seen with them and that's gotta be my friend, it has a tendency to compromise our character. It has a tendency to erode our integrity and it has a tendency to confuse our mission. But then James says something else and this is where he starts to hit hard. You gotta buckle your seatbelt because he says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now, stay with me on this. I need you guys to hang with me for a second. What James is saying is this. He simply is saying that when we play favorites, you ready, we break one of the most important commands because playing favorites is one of the most unloving things we can do. And so you may ask the question, what's the important commands Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus answered that question. He said, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Basically, Jesus said this. If you want to know how to sum up all of God's heart, it's love God, love others. That's what he's saying. Love God, love others. And James simply says this, is that when we play favorites... We are choosing not to love our neighbor. Stay with me. And when we choose not to love our neighbor, we can't say we love God. And he simply, this is as simple as he's saying, playing favorites is simply sin. That's what he's saying. I want you to write it down. Let it sit. Our culture doesn't like that word, but that's what he's saying. When we play favorites, we miss the mark. That's what he's saying. Now, stay with me because we're going to dial up the heat a little bit. And then it feels like, if you read this, you've got to be honest as you read the Bible, it feels like James loses his mind. Because it feels like he goes crazy. Look at what he says next. For whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. He who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Look look here a second. Look here a second. If you're talking with James, you're like... No, James, I thought we were talking about favoritism here. You know, like we kind of went to a whole other neighborhood here. We're talking about favoritism. Now we're talking about adultery and murder. Like what's going on, James? And he said, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. What's he saying? Listen, I'm going to explain this. You've got to get this. He's saying that the law of God is like a seamless garment. That no matter where you rip that garment, the garment is ripped. So whether, whether you break the law here, break it there, you're guilty of breaking the law. And simply what he's saying is that playing favorites, ready? Even if you don't agree with me, let this percolate. Playing favorites is kind of like cheating on your wife or killing your neighbor. And you're like, James, like, are you serious? Like, I'm just kind of playing favorites, I like, just kind of, Hanging out with the people of influence? Is that really what you mean? And James is saying simply this, that I can't distinguish and elevate and make one better than the other. He's saying, when you and I play favorites, you ready? Ready? It's just like cheating on God. And you're saying, how's it just like cheating on God? Because when I play favorites, I am withholding love from someone God loves And therefore, if I'm withholding love from someone God loves, guess what? I'm withholding love from God, the one I say I love. He's saying the playing favorites is just kind of like committing murder because what I'm doing is I'm deciding that somebody who is made in the image of God is not important. Therefore, I'm killing their importance and God sees them as an image bearer. And he's like, wow, if you really want to see if your faith works, if you really want to see a faith that works, a spirituality that makes a difference, he says, look at how you treat and view and behave towards others, which leads him to the end, and this is where we finish today. All of that leads to this. He says, so in light of that, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I need to tell you something. Guys, if if ever I've taught you something where I really want you to work hard with me for the next two minutes, I need you to do that. What James is saying is this. Don't play favorites. When we play favorites, we sin, we compromise our mission, we're unlike God. And then he said, here's the resolution. Speak and act like people who are going to be judged by the law okay, ready, that gives freedom. Here's the problem. Many of us look at the law of God and we're like, I don't know that I feel like it's freeing, it's frustrating. Many of us look at the law of God and say, it doesn't feel liberating, it feels litigating. Some of us grew up in legalistic churches and we're like, it doesn't emancipate me, it incarcerates me. It's hard. And we look at the law of God and we're like, what do you mean the law that gives freedom? This is a law that confines and constrains. And James is like, listen, if that's how you see the law, you're not looking intently enough. You're not staring long enough. You're not looking at your Bible accurately. Let me illustrate it this way. It's kind of like some of you have seen these inkblot drawings. Let me show you one. I remember the first time I ever saw this. I remember thinking, somebody said, what do you see? This is what I said. I see a bunch of black lines on white paper. It, it made no sense to me. They said, stare at it. I, stare, I stared at it, and I stared at it, and they said, now what do you see? Eventually, I stared at it long enough, and I saw something. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you see an old woman when that pops up there. Put your hand down. Raise your hand if not an old woman, you see a young gal with a feather in her cap. Yeah. It's interesting, right? When I first looked at it, I didn't see anything. Now when I look at it, I can see both an old woman and I can see, some of you are like, I don't see anything. Keep staring, right? Because I see both a young gal with a feather in her cap and I see an old woman with a rather big nose. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The minute I saw it, listen close. The minute I saw it, every time I see that picture, I see the old woman and the young gal. Every time. Let me show you a different picture. I remember the first time I ever saw this picture, somebody said, what do you see? I said, I see somebody spilled ink on a white sheet of paper. That's what I see. It looks like somebody spilled ink on a white sheet of paper. They said, keep looking. I kept looking. They said, keep looking. What do you see? I said, I don't see anything. They said, keep looking. Keep looking. Eventually, it popped. And all of a sudden, I saw what they were talking about. If you look long enough, you stare long enough, all of a sudden, you see a picture of who? Say it out loud. Anybody see it? Jesus, some of you see it. And every time I see that picture, I no longer see ink spots. I see Jesus. Some of you are like, I don't see it yet. If you stared long enough, all of a sudden it becomes clear. Let me show you one I came across the last two weeks. I came across this, they said, stare at this for thirty seconds. Don't do that, by the way. It'll make you dizzy, okay? But I stared at it, and they said, stare at it till you see something besides the black lines. I stared, I stared, I stared. And eventually, if you stare long enough, you can make out a picture of Jesus. Anybody see it? Yeah, it's in there. You see, what's the point? Look here a second. Here's the point. You gotta stare long enough to see the picture. When it comes to your Bible, when it comes to your Bible, If you're somebody who looks at your Bible and you're like, yep, I'm doing pretty good, off I go. Look here, look here. You're not looking long enough. You're not looking long enough. And what James is saying is stare at it longer. Stare at it long enough to all of a sudden, guess what you see? If you stare at this long enough, you begin to see yourself first. And you know what you see? see that you and I are a mess. We're a mess. We're, We're needy. We're bankrupt. We're poor. We're beggars. Every last one of us in this room, if we stare at this book long enough, we're on the island of misfit toys. If you don't see yourself that way, you haven't stared at this long enough. But listen, if you see yourself as a misfit and then walk away, James would say, you haven't stared at it long enough. Because if you keep intently looking at what God says in here, you see, I am in deep weeds. I'm a misfit. But you keep staring at it, and all of a sudden you realize that the picture of the entire book called the Bible is this picture of Jesus. And it's only when I see Jesus that I understand a law that leads to Freedom. Because when all of a sudden I realized this book from front to back is about Jesus, I realized that Jesus came and died between those two misfits to rescue all of us misfits. And that's where freedom's found. You see, James would simply put it this way playing favorites reveals that I read and don't understand my Bible. Because some of us in this room, some of us in this room, we read the Bible like it's God's rule book. Some of us in this room read the Bible like it's, well, it's a good moral book for me to pay attention to, and yet what God wants us to see is that the Bible is actually Jesus coming to rescue all of us who are misfits, and it's only when I recognize Jesus in the the story of God found in the Bible that I can experience freedom. Now, stay with me. And it's only when I experience freedom that I begin to look at other people different. And here's the way James says it. He says, if I don't don't ever find Jesus in the Bible, I'm always going to look at people through a lens of judgment. I'm always going to look and say, well, that person, well, that person... Well, they, and as long as I look at people through a lens of judgment, guess what it does to me? It confines me and imprisons me because I'm never sure if I ever measure up. But he said, the minute that I embrace Jesus, I realize that what God offers me is mercy, not judgment. And then when I put on that lens of mercy, I begin to look at people through a lens of mercy. And I begin to understand that at the cross, the ground is even every time James says don't play favorites because when you do you're not like God don't play favorites it's going to compromise your character and confuse your mission don't play favorites it is one of the most unloving things you can do and don't play favorites you know why because it is very much something that reveals to me that my faith and my belief is not in the God of the Bible in the Jesus of the gospel And so God, as I pray, I want to thank you for my friends and I want you to do me a favor. If you're here, I'd love for you just to kind of bow your heads, close your eyes if you want to, get in a space where you're by yourself, where you can think. Because some of you are sitting here and you're skeptical and you have questions. The story of God is this, that Jesus is the only one who ever kept the law perfectly And he came and died for all of us who didn't. And some of you this morning are in this prison. You're wondering if you measure up and then you look at everybody else that way. And the story of God is not about you measuring up, but it's about you saying yes to Jesus, the one who died in your place. And there are some of you sitting here this morning that you've never made that decision. You've never called out to him. And this morning is your opportunity. There in your seat, you can simply say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I'm a misfit. I'm a mess. And this morning, I want to say, yes, Jesus, save me from my sins. And yes, Jesus, lead me the rest of my life. Listen, if, if that's what you prayed this morning, somehow let me know that. Call, email, card in one of the black boxes. Somehow let me know that. There's a whole lot of you here this morning, you would say, I've said yes to Jesus. But some of you maybe are here this morning and, and maybe if, if you allow this to lean in on you and you were honest, you're somebody who is partial and you're somebody who plays favorites and discriminates and it causes you to overlook some and it causes you to cozy up to others. And maybe the message of James is simply this, that maybe, maybe you're reading your Bible wrong. Maybe you're reading your Bible like it's this big rule book, this big moral code, and maybe you haven't looked long enough to see Jesus. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning, the implication and application is simply this, oh God, I want to repent I want to repent from choosing not to love my neighbor, not to love the person who doesn't look like they have it all together. Because somehow my unwillingness to love them shows that I don't understand what you've done for me. And this morning, I simply want to reflect and overflow with the love of God. God, I'm grateful for this passage. It's it's crushing, revealing, and yet life-giving there's freedom at the cross and I'm so grateful that we have a savior who died in our place so that we don't have to stay on the island of misfit toys but he died to rescue us and redeem us I'm so grateful for Jesus